welcome to the Thrive Subscribe Podcast, where we inspire you, challenge you, and give you the tools you need to transform your pharmacy practice. We'll help you to thrive with new and old revenue streams so you too can succeed with your patients and your business. Now let me turn you over to your host today, Dr. Randy McDonough. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Thrive Subscribe podcast that we have. This is Randy McDonough, and today I'd like to introduce um, our guest that I'll be interviewing. His name is Bill Doucette. He's a good friend and a colleague and a co-investigator uh, on multiple grants that we've been a part of. Uh, Bill is the Veal um, Professor of Health Policy at the College of Pharmacy, which is at the University of Iowa in Iowa City, Iowa, and he's actually with the Department of Pharmacy Practice and Science. Good morning, Bill. Morning. Glad to be here. I appreciate it, Bill, and thanks for taking the time this morning. Bill, you know, you and I have done a lot of work together, and you've been involved in pharmacy practice-based research, and then more recently, you've been part of practice transformation program that you and I were co-investigators on. So based upon this work, what changes do you believe are needed to occur in community-based pharmacy so that pharmacists can optimally impact their patient health outcomes? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think an important part, and you know, this is no surprise, is uh, I think fair payment to pharmacists for their services will at least open the door for them to be be able to provide these new services. Uh, you know, really, some more factors have to happen though I, to really get them to walk through the door, uh, creating a capacity to deliver these types of services is important, you know, and then even, even in when the pharmacy is ready to, to provide these services and, and payment might be there, I think other things that you can think about is are, uh, you know, how are the relations with the providers that they're interacting with? Are they able to access EMR? Because I've, I think, and I'm sure others would agree that Community pharmacists, if they have access to EMRs, that's just going to create so much more efficiency. Uh, I think it will raise the effectiveness. I think it would. I think people would be surprised how much it would improve things as far as medication use if if community pharmacists were really more fully brought into the the team. And then I guess I I think one other thing, you know, patient acceptance. It, I think that's being worn down as they see value, but I know I've talked to plenty of pharmacists that they, they have certain patients out there that just, they're not ready for pharmacists to have a, a more uh, broader care role. You know, they just want them to be more distributional and they'll rely on their providers or uh, I guess not even engage, you know, so it's a, so those are some key changes and one other thing I would just say is that, you know, stepping back rather than just looking at a particular practice, but looking at the whole community pharmacy industry, if you will, uh, there, there, there are multiple segments out there, right? There's, there's community pharmacists that are more kind of independent, small chains, those the kind of the CPESN types. They're going through some changes now that they're deliberately working on to try to address some of these issues that, that I think need to be changed. They're proactively doing it. 
And there's a, there's probably a subset of uh, these types of pharmacies, the independents and so on, that just aren't up to it. You know, they're kind of near the end of their run and they just don't want to make the, the effort or they're overwhelmed somehow. A whole range of issues could crop up for those folks. And then the other, you know, big segment, and, and, and unfortunately, sometimes that's the main face of community pharmacy because of their advertising are the larger chain uh, segment. And they are really going through some tougher times now. I think, you know, for years, they've, they've just kind of been willing to accept lower pay contracts and make it up in volume and other sales in their in their uh, establishments. And I think that's coming now to an end as the cost of drugs just keeps going up. You know, 1% just is a lot bigger dollar figure than it used to be. And they're, they're consolidating. There's, there's re restructuring going on. Uh, and I think that that group that's been kind of low cost operations rather than high service that I think they have to make some changes. And, and frankly, I don't know where they're going to come down. I think probably you'll see some some of them really try the higher service level to see if they can do it. At least in, maybe they'll develop new types of sites. Maybe they'll integrate it within their current operations somehow. Uh, but I think others will just go with a low, try to stay alive with a low cost uh, service performance and I and I wonder how much services they those sites will actually be able to provide uh, you know with tech check tech type process becoming more widespread I think that will give them some opportunities to you know kind of stay afloat but I don't know I, I unless changes get made in the payments which that's another thing that possible is possible but not terribly likely in my mind Bill, you brought up some some key points. So some of the four things you brought up as far as, you know, what we have to do. And you first said, well, we got to have first look at payments and, and a different payment strategy, a new payment model for pharmacy, because that will open the door. But that doesn't necessarily mean a lot of pharmacists will go through that door. To go through that door, they have to have the capacity. So how somehow they transform their practice to be able to have the capacity to provide the services. Second of all, they have to have the capability uh, the knowledge, the skills to actually provide the clinical services. Third, you talked about the relationships with other providers, so you have access to a shared patient record, but also patient acceptance. One of the things I wanted to address on the patient acceptance, Bill, I know you've done some work with um, you know, why patients make decisions, and I actually had my resident last night at our meeting say, boy, I would love to do a, a program where I can find out how do I get patients to accept what we're doing because you seem to have done that at Towncrest and now I want to be able to replicate that elsewhere. Do you have any advice, Bill, as far as what do pharmacists do to try to help develop that acceptance from patients about a new type of way of practicing? Well, uh, you know, I think one of the approaches has been just to spend more time with them. I, I mean, part of it, part of many operations, uh, they don't, they kind of get into efficiency mode and don't really focus on taking advantage of the pharmacist patient 
interactions. And I think that's a key part that the more the, the patient interacts with the pharmacist, the more likely they're going to see some value. And so that the second part of that is make sure that what you're doing provides value. Talk to them about, you know, what, what are they concerned about? What, what's kind of their pain points? You know, what bothering them? What, what concerns do they have? And then work with them to address that. And I think, you know, another part of that is I think, I think many pharmacists are doing things that are somewhat invisible to the patients yet really help their health, you know, like checking for interactions, like, hey, I think you need this immunization. I did a check on it and, and it looks like you haven't had this and it would be a good thing for you. Those types of things, sometimes those are not visible and <clears throat> trying to make the services tangible, either by giving them some forms or, you know, a brief brief uh, piece, of, piece of paper, emails, whatever might be helpful to kind of, like I said, show some value, demonstrate what care is actually being delivered. Now, and I think another thing that actually I might have heard it from you, Randy, was, uh, you know, talking to them about we're in this together. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting monitored for my quality, and and uh, your insurer is monitoring you as well. You know, they're paying more attention to what what services you're using, how much you cost them, and that stuff. And uh, you know, if we can work together, we'll we'll both be better off. And uh, like I said, I I've talked to pharmacists that some just won't change, but most people will. And so, I, I mean, those are some ideas that I have. I don't know, does that cover what you're interested yeah, in? Yeah, absolutely. You actually hit some, I think, some key points. One is spending more time, and I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about that, because obviously the more time you spend with the patient, um, the more likely you're able to demonstrate your value by identifying resolving drug therapy problems. And that interaction that you have with the patient is a much different interaction than when it's a transactional, just filling a prescription whereas it's more of a longitudinal chronic care type of relationship, which what I commonly refer to and which has been listed in the literature as a therapeutic relationship where you make a promise to the patient to take your skills and knowledge and to help them optimize their medications. And in return, uh, the patient promises you that they'll provide you with information and the time that you need to make sure you have all the information to be able to do that. But the other thing you um, talked about as well, too, is that they have to see the value through the things that you do, which is not much different than how you work with prescribers and how they have to see your value, right? They have to experience it. Sure. And one of the things we talk about a lot, Bill, is that pharmacists need to become interventionist. And when we say interventionist, what we talk about is your job is to diagnose medication-related problems. I mean, I make it very clear. It's diagnosing medication-related problems, not health conditions, right? But medication-related problems and then taking the time and the action to resolve those problems by working collaboratively, not only with the patient, but also with other providers. So this brings up a key point, time, and then the ability and the capacity to provide these kind of services. We came up with a concept, Bill, and I think you actually brought up the concept of Slack resources. Can you tell our listeners what Slack resources are in community-based pharmacy? Sure. Uh, Slack resources are really resources that you have available in the pharmacy uh, that can be readily redeployed. You know, so most obviously would be a 
person, right? You know, some, some of your staff, they, maybe you can have them working on something that you, some, some uh, care processes that may not require a face-to-face where they can stop, you know, readily just set it aside and stop it and, and move to something different. And so then uh, they can be called to work with a patient or to do something that's more urgent, typically with a patient, uh, and it allows it allows you to have, uh, like like you said, Slack resources that can. And again, the the key part is that they can re, be redeployed, utilized more flexibly, which is key to try to do these enhance pharmacy service practices. I mean, you, you you are providing a stream of services. It's not just, okay, everything's going through the dispensing funnel. That's not happening. It, you, you need to have these uh, staff, these resources that can be redeployed or moved around readily. Sure, you need to keep your dispensing flowing. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes you need more over there. Sometimes you need hey, somebody needs to take 10, 15 minutes and deal with this patient's issue. And, that, and again, that raises the quality that, uh, you know, for, for everybody. It really raises the quality for the patient, for the pharmacist, probably for the provider as well uh, by being able to do that. And so, you know, kind of contrast to these Slack resources, some of the practices, I guess, we call it the strip down model, right? It's, it's, it's down to the, as lean as possible. And then, then they can't redeploy. And so if they have to stop for something, everything backs up or more likely they just don't want to stop it or they may not even be able to stop the process very readily. And it just, so sometimes the problems don't get dealt with. Uh, you know, if you're thinking about Slack resources, you know, how do you create those? I think using, automation and labor substitution. So if, if, if your pharmacist is your ultimate Slack resource, which some people would argue that's, that's the case, but I think as techs move up, you have to think of Texas Slack resources too, how you're going to be moving them around possibly. But having labor substitution where you can, meaning a tech's doing activities that can be de- designated for them, and not having a pharmacist do them. Uh, automation is key. I think offloading things to patients when possible. Uh, you know, Randy, I know you and I haven't have talked about it a few times, but we haven't really been able to get into it, but using tablets and some of the technology that you could to in your practice just to collect data points from your patients every time they come in for MedSync or whatever, you know, that could be, that's additional data where you can be tracking adherence, could be tracking for problems or even clinical indicators. Uh, so anyway, that, I don't know if that kind of covers your absolutely. question on the Slack resource. Yeah, absolutely. You know, last night at our store meeting, you know, I brought up again about the point of pharmacists needing to be freed up to, uh, provide the clinical services to help patients optimize their medications. And I said the responsibility of the technicians is to optimize their skill sets and free up the pharmacist to provide these services. So redeploying them so that they become the, the individuals who are managing the dispensing functions. 
and I really want the pharmacist freed up to do the evaluations, the medication reviews to be able to identify and resolve any medication-related problems. So it is about redeploying them and providing them with the infrastructure um, and if they need some training and the training they need to be able to provide that service. So, for example, you know, we have a very robust medication synchronization program. It was started and managed initially by the pharmacist. Now, moving that over to a technician who can manage the technical functions of medication synchronization, where the pharmacist is freed up to really provide the clinical services during the appointment-based model. The other thing I would say, though, is, you know, we talked about Slack resources, Bill, but with some of the work that you've done on the transformation of pharmacy practices, what are in other investments have you seen them make um, as we look at what, what kind of cost is this? Because you talk about in some pharmacy practices, you've got two choices, low cost service or high, or I should say low cost, which is the, like you said, the skeleton crew, you're doing it with a very limited number of individuals to keep the cost low versus high service where you've invested in the practice. Besides Slack resources, what other things do you see practices investing in? Uh, <clears throat> some other components that really will allow them to provide these services. For example, uh, you know, some type of clinical documentation system. The, the dispensing software systems are notorious. We've been pounding the table for years, but you know, give us better documentation capacity for care other than just dispensing. And, and uh, so I think that, that that's gotten to the point where most of the progressive pharmacies that we've been working with that are really trying to change their practice, they, they know that they're already invested in that. And, you know, they've actually had to work through, should I use this system? Should I use that system? Some of them have multiple systems. They're still kind of working through that process. Uh, I've, I've talked with uh, some people in other states that are going through the CPESN, flip the pharmacy program, and the and it's similar type of thing. You know, it's like, which system should I be using? And well, the, maybe I'll use this system for MedSync, but now I can't do eCare plans on that. So, so there's some trade trade offs, and I think you know that that part of the market will adjust. I'm sure that those vendors are working on, on stuff like that. So I think that's a key part. Uh, other investment, even just automation and dispensing, you know, you know, how do they, how do they actually fill prescriptions and the computer systems for that? Uh, they, a lot of them are using at, Adherence packaging systems, and so how does that work? How are they actually filling, and and what's their med sync process like? I think they can gain efficiencies there, and they and some are investing in that. Uh, so the you know kind of automation and, and just technology in general. Although it's interesting, I talked to a, a pharmacy owner this week actually, and she was like. You know, we were talking about transformation. One of the things that she talked about was the biggest challenge or disappointment. You know, because we were at, I was, we were talking about what are the difficulties that she's had to face, and and it, she said, really, it was technology. It was the interfacing. You know, the di clinical documentation system didn't interface with her so dispensing software as well as possible. 
she was using an IVR and that that worked okay for some people, but some patients were irritated with getting that type of automated call and and, and she didn't know how to you know, screen for that or maybe you can't really screen. Maybe you just try and find out and hopefully they tell you don't do it. Uh, so anyway, that that those are some ideas. Yeah, and you hit almost every single one. The only other thing I would say to add besides the technology, which I include automation um, in the dispensing, the clinical documentation system. We talked about Slack resources, which might mean increasing your personnel. Um, and then also investing in, in management strategies such as medication synchronization. The other thing would be space, right? Workflow and space. And how do you um, redo or remodel your pharmacy to create that kind of flow that you need and um, private or semi-private patient care areas where you can have a, a more in-depth discussion with the patient. But that's the only other thing I would probably add to that, Bill. Do you, do you see them uh, doing much marketing, you know, promotion of the services? Oh. That's certainly another area. Yeah. That could, Absolutely. Could In fact, it, it's interesting that you say that because I just met with our marketing guys. So when I first got to Town Crest Pharmacy, you know, they were doing no marketing. And, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that it, it's not what the filled dreams um, line is if you build it they will come you know if you build your practice and no one knows about it no one's going to come right so people have to experience it they have to see it and it takes a long it takes a lot of time to uh, get the masses out there to understand some of the differences that you're doing within your practice so I do think you need to make an investment in marketing in fact we're upping it over the next um, few months and the reason why we're increasing our budget is because we realize there's a lot of new competitors in the marketplace and those competitors have similar services that we've always been providing that people may or may not be familiar with it, but they see the competitors on commercials providing this service. Yeah. So we're increasing. We're going to double um, our budget for the next three months to really address that so we make it very clear to our community and to our patients that we're not only local, <clears throat> but we provide these same services, and we're on the cutting edge. And we're showing all the technology that we have as well, too. So, yeah, you've got to keep you got to keep it current out there. So that is an investment, Bill. So I appreciate you bringing that up as well. Sure. Another question I have for you, Bill, is, you know, we talked about some of the changes that have to occur in pharmacy and that we have to have new payment models. And, and um, we'll get to the payment models in a little bit. But there's also a lot of negative press about the future of, of pharmacy, reductions in jobs, decline in pay, oversupply of pharmacists. New graduates are getting nervous about being able to find a job. Yeah, but you always have a positive outlook. What future do you see for pharmacy or for community-based pharmacy? Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty positive, like you said. I think that there's there's a cyclical nature to the pharmacist supply and demand, and uh, I, I recently saw HRSA, uh, the, what is it, the Human Health Services, I can't remember what HRSA stands for. I, HRSA is a government agency that does estimates on job uh, supply and demand, and they recently did a report on pharmacists, and they projected out, I think, 10 years, and they're their projections was that the demand for pharmacists would be pretty flat. And, you know, so you can take that the way you want, right? That That's positive because it's not going down. 
or it's negative, boy, I wish we were growing. But so let's say that they're right. You know, how, how does that shake out? I, I think we will continue to see some retrenchment in the, let's just call it the, the strip down sector, the low cost sector that the distribution, the payment for distribution is not going to go back up magically, I don't think. And so then that component is going to be there. If that's what they're living on, I think that's going to continue to limit their growth and probably, like I said, continue to shrink it for a while so they can get more uh, scale or right-sized or however you want to look at that. But then again, I think the, the pharmacies that are able to help optimize medical therapy by working closer with the patient, coordinating more with the provider, taking on new roles, uh, demonstrating their value. I think that that's going to grow. Now, we don't know, you know, if the, if the payment models go, and in Iowa, we have a value-based pharmacy program that's been with the biggest insurer in, in the state. And I've been told that it looks favorable and that that will continue. And so as that rolls out or expands and then other states see the findings of that, you know, I think that that type of approach of value-based uh, plan, and interestingly, that that is a capitated uh, program, which means that the pharmacists are at risk for the care services, the, in, the enhanced services, not for the drugs, because they're not picking the drugs, they're not prescribing drugs, but they are at risk for, okay, how many CMRs should I provide? Or should this be a targeted intervention? And what would that look like? And all the, all this type of stuff. Uh, so I think that's exciting because that's, uh, that's really going to put pharmacists at operating and practicing at the top of their license. It's going to be letting them do what they should be doing. And, uh, Again, you know, how fast that's going to happen, you know, that's that's I've never been able to predict speed of change. Uh, but I think I really think that that's going to happen. I mean, we we've we see it in, in Iowa. We know some states have uh, have allowed pharmacists provider status and they're doing these kind of gradual expansions of the scope of practice. And I think that that as that happens, payments are going to more than likely happen along with that. Again, is, is it going to be smooth? Probably not. But that, so that's some of the things that I see. I, I, I don't know if it's going to grow ultimately. I think that, you know, let's, like I said, let's say Hearst has got it right. Although they just changed the one that I saw was just a change from like three or four years ago and it was different. So, you know, that's, it is a moving target out there, but I, I think, there's there's going to be some sector growth, subsector, and then some growth or some loss in other sectors within, and that's just within community. I, you could expand it even further. I think some new new types of uh, delivery, care delivery options will develop. Uh, you know that I think the hospital and health system they're they're going to have growth and subtraction probably within their sector as well. So, well, I appreciate that. You know, as I, I spoke to um, um, some stu students at one of the colleges of pharmacy, 
And I said, you know, we can look at the story in, in, in multiple different ways. The one story is there's an oversupply of pharmacists, new graduates don't have as many opportunities. People are being laid off for reduction in hours. Salaries are going down. I said, so that's the one story that if you want to buy in on that, then that's the path that you might take. And that may not be a very happy path for you. I said, but the other story is that we got an opportunity. And I said, the opportunity is this. Back in 2015, when I saw the last statistic, it said about how much money the United States spends on drug therapy, which is about $300 billion. And they said there was a 9% increase. But if you looked at the total health care pie, it still represented just 10% of the total health care pie. So obviously the whole health care pie has expanded because everything seems to be increasing, right? Hospitalizations, physician visits. But we'll always focus on drug therapy because it's a commodity. But I said, if you look at a year later in 2016, uh, an article came out that indicated we spend well over $500 billion on problems and, and uh, adverse events and uh, you know the consequences of, of medications that were not optimized by ED visits and, and hospitalizations. I said, there's a wonderful opportunity, and this is where we need to gravitate to is that, that opportunity. And if we all become interventionist, I said – what I see happening is that we don't need less pharmacists, we need more pharmacists because we have an aging population and obviously there's an issue out there as far as appropriate medication use. So this is the time for all of us, all of us who are listening and to all of our students, this is the time for us to write our own story and create our own future because there's a, there's a need and we need to show the value of what we can provide uh, to to the healthcare team. So I'm, I'm very excited, Bill, that there's a lot of opportunity out there um, because obviously something needs to be done. I don't have any comments about that. Well, I would definitely agree that there's a need. I mean, that just because people don't want to pay pharmacists to help identify and, and manage drug-related problems doesn't mean they're not there. The problems are still there. And the, right. And they show up, like you said, they show up in hospitalizations or ED visits or even death, you know, and, and that's unfortunate. So, I, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think there'll be a sector that will be able to grow if the payment comes through. And, you know, you know, the, the larger organizations are copycats, right? They watch, oh, you're doing this, I'm going to do that, you know, you know, $4.00 generics, all this stuff, they just, they, they follow. And uh, I think once they see some success, they're going to want to get in. And, you know, that's a two-edged sword, right? That's for, uh, for independence, they may, oh, you know, now we got the big boys next to us. But from a, from a, a payer that wants coverage for a network, <clears throat> hey, I just got more coverage now, and then I can maybe leverage more or you know, put more people into that. And so that could be a net benefit for the independents that wants to change, get in, more into these uh, types of services. So again, that, it's hard to say how it's all going to shake out, but those are some ideas that I had about that. Well, Bill, I totally agree. I don't think it's about, you know, one sector versus another sector. It's about building the infrastructure of the profession to be able to provide these kind of services. And the more we uh, pharmacists we get doing this, the more value is going to be demonstrated out there. So this is all of us together as a profession. So again, I'm excited about that future. Bill, I have one last question uh, for you. Since you are a professor at the College of Pharmacy, what is the role of colleges of pharmacies to help in the transformation of community-based pharmacy? Uh, well, <clears throat> I think it's important that the 
first of all, that they're aware of, of what's going on. So, you know, stay in touch with the practitioners, with the practices, you know, what, what are the needs? What's, what are you guys going through? What's, what's happening? What are you trying, where are you trying to get so that, you know, we can help prepare the students, prepare the graduates so that they can step in and, and, you know, be a good resource, be a valuable resource when they, when you, when they get into the job market. So being able to prepare them so that they're ready to go. But I think also, you know, as you know, many, many people like me are, have the opportunity to do research. So I think there's, I wouldn't say every college has researchers that are doing practice-based research, but there are some around and that, I think that's another thing that we could do is help think about, you know, hey, can we study, you guys are doing this intervention or you added this service, can we do an evaluation of it? Uh, sometimes we can help get grant money to do that. Sometimes we, we do it, uh, you know, more gratis. And again, uh, I think that's healthy for us to have a mix of that type of stuff. Hopefully we can bring new ideas, you know, like, you know, back when we were working and I, you know, I found this concept of Slack resources, you know, I was talking to you about it and you were like, yeah, that, that kind of clicked and you've run with it and, you know, really made a, some changes, been able to utilize that in, in conceptualizing how you're changing your practice. So that, that type of role too, you know, bringing some concepts in that, uh, you know, you, you can help or we can help practitioners operationalize or put into their operations. Yeah, I totally agree, Bill. I think you and I have had a very productive partnership on some of the ideas that you've brought to me. Um, I actually was able to implement and vice versa, um, giving you an opportunity, you know, with the data we were collecting at uh, Town Crest Pharmacy, or even before that, at Manit Locust Pharmacy allowed us to have a learning laboratory of data being, you know, uh, developed so that we could actually do some work and evaluations of that data. And, and that's carried us a long ways, both of us. Mm -hmm. And it helped to establish the value of the type of practice that we're talking about out there, which, you know, I'm always said it's all about the data. So I do believe that's, that's true. And the other thing I want to talk about too, is there is something formally going on out there with Bill talked about flip the pharmacy, which is the partnership between the community pharmacy foundation, who is the funding agency um, in CPSN USA, we have 28 networks that are going through uh, practice transformation with their network pharmacies over the next couple of years, and we'll have more cohorts coming on board. So we see this as being about a five-year process. So it's exciting about the work that's going on, but colleges of pharmacy are jumping in as well too. And uh, University of Pittsburgh has been kind of a leader with M Melissa uh, Soma McGivney uh, taking a lead on something called ACT, which is Academia CPSN. Uh, transformation and it's a partnership with CPSN USA and, and the colleges of pharmacy so this we're all in this thing together again it's not about a certain sector of pharmacy it's all of us together working together and it's also uh, academia and, and colleges of pharmacy and associations and, and practitioners all coming together converge together to saying we have a better story to tell about pharmacy so Bill, I don't know if you have any parting comments before we end this uh... Well, I guess I, I would just say that, you know, in my mind, the future for pharmacists looks bright. You know, community pharmacy in particular, that has been a dynamic area. I think that that's a, 
a good sign. I mean, that shows that you're able to adjust, to transform. And, you know, the whole healthcare system has to work through this. You don't, you, you're not alone in doing that. But I think that there's some, definitely some positive things that are going to support community pharmacy. I mean, I mean, the transformation activities that are going on, some some exploration of value-based payments or other payment models. Uh, there certainly continues to be studies of new services that pharmacists can provide. And I think all that stuff just helps you, you know, kind of find new opportunities that to be successful for your patients and for yourself as well. Fantastic. Well, Bill, thank you very much. I appreciate the partnership that we developed over the years. I appreciate uh, your friendship and and just the, your your positive outlook that has kept me going throughout these many years. So, Bill, thank you very much for your time today, and I want to thank everybody for listening. Have a good day. Bye. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com, where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.